welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Knock On Podcast. Cleared Hot Podcast. Is it a, a swap cast? You guys swap casting? I thought it was a simulcast. I can't keep up with the terms. So it's it, they make them up. You can make up a new cast. <laughs> yeah, it's a quadcast, hunt camp cast. I'll just take this Elk file cast. and send it to anybody who wants it, and Jocko? you can do with it what you want. <laughs> Any thoughts on this? I remain neutral. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah, he is not going to get in that argument. Perfect. All right. Well, we're sitting at a round table. We've we're in a hunting camp with a bunch of awesome people. Where and do we even start? They're not that awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a few people. <laughs> not with us. Okay. Not in this table. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> way to kick it off. I wasn't going to say that, but I was I was thinking it. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's been fucking awesome, man. I mean, if anybody can have this kind of a fun experience in their life, they're doing great. Yeah. You, you get this kind of a camp of, of great dudes hanging out, having fun. And then you're hunting the most amazing animals in the world at the most amazing place to hunt. What? At the most amazing time because they're yes. losing yeah. their minds. Perfect week. The perfect week. And then as John explained to us, the moon phases and all that shit. <laughs> I told you it'd be good. Oh, my God. Good. Jocko. Yeah. Dude, you have to describe this whole journey. Leave you, nothing out. You Yeah. You shot your first bull. Yesterday, I did. I did. And approximately five hours ago, we set that sucker and like bagged, tagged, and in the freezer. You know, Andy and I were talking earlier. Sometimes you do like an operation, a mission, and a bunch of things go wrong, and you get, but you still pull it off and you get the job done, and you get back to camp, and you all look at each other and you say. Well, we got away with that one. We still got the mission done. Let's never do that again, but we learned a lot. So that's kind of what I feel like. <laughs> okay. Learned a lot. You still won that's, the mission. You know, got why. the job done. Yeah. But definitely learned a lot. And, you know, the other, the other thing is, what is it, win or learn? And this is a very nice situation where I got to win and learn. Oh. You know, so that was pretty cool. I was talking with Cam about that. So, yeah, it was definitely an awesome experience to be here. And a lot of it, again, talking to Andy because Andy's here, you know, coming out to this place is like we used to go on training trips and or go on deployment. And you get your gear into a bag and you go to a place where no one's bothering you and you only have one job. And that's to go out and kill whatever thing it is that you're supposed to kill. And so here, <laughs> Andy, you know, laugh out loud. You can't <laughs> suppress that. He's just leaning back. I like, just love it. <laughs> but it is, you know, you, I mean, think about what I just said. You get a bag full of gear. Some of the gear that you have is meant to kill things. Then you put all the, the gear in that bag. Then you go to this place. No one, there's no Wi-Fi here. There's no people talking to you. And your one mission is to go out and kill this thing that you've been assigned to kill. And it's awesome. And I think most human beings, this is where I'm kind of a little bit, you know, 
maybe not totally in sync with the rest of the world and all that. But most people are thinking that that's pretty cool, right? Like when you were a kid, if someone said to you, hey, when you grow up, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a mission where you're going to go out and, you know, you have to go kill something. And you'd be pretty fired up for that. Well, I would have been for sure. I think most people. Joe? Well, as far as I know. Um, Joe would kick him in the head. He might not kill him. The primal, just like the primal thing to fight, the primal thing to hunt. It's a primal thing. It's, it's very primal out. for sure. Yeah. Wait till you eat it. Wait till you eat that elk. Yeah. That's when you really, that's when it really sets in. There's something crazy about eating something that you killed. Like, it gives you this weird feeling. When you serve it to your family. Yeah, that too. Or or good friends where, they're, you know, you tell them, like, here's how this whole thing played out, and you can relive that story. Yours will be pretty cool. And then, yeah, you're sitting there doing it. And what I find really neat about it is if I go out to a restaurant and there's leftovers and they say, do you want to take it home? I'm like, no. You know, if if I haven't eaten it, I don't want to take it home. If there's leftovers, I'm like, put that in the bag. Because there's no, I mean, we went in a long way for your bowl. Mm -hmm. So if someone's wanting to dump that in the garbage can. No, (laughs) No, not happening. (laughs) See? No. that Right? That's. I think that's a, a key part. That's one of the things that stands out, you know, for me, what hunting means to me versus any other time I eat, I think it's the effort that you put in has value to it. And people that don't hunt, it's really hard to explain that. Maybe they should put on a rucksack and get out in the woods. (laughs) (laughs) That's my recommendation. Come with me tomorrow. (laughs) What if they live in New York, Jocko? Go to upstate New York. What if they can't? You know how you travel, what, 45 minutes outside of New York City and you're in woods. Yeah, and you're going to get Lyme disease. woods. True. Straight up. What's up up with no bugs here? No mosquitoes? No I've taken some amazing naps on the ground with zero bites. What is up with that? Which is spectacular. That's a good point. Why Uh, think about that? Why even jinx that? Is it the altitude? Yes. It must be the altitude. It must be. It must be the altitude. But every time I see, like, a dumb war movie or just movie and people are always out in the woods and I'm like why aren't there mosquitoes eating their heads <laughs> which is what it's like all the time that's what you think about oh, when you watch yeah. those movies yeah. Ooh, man we're watching those from a different angle <laughs> when cam took me to alberta for the first time i had no idea mosquitoes were that aggressive is that when you discovered the thermocell oh my god that's a gem but the whole time i'm breathing in that thermocell fumes i'm like how much do you have to do this before you get cancer like how many puffs? Three. Thermocell. Three. <laughs> I, I mean, say it's three. Almost worth it. So you forgot your thermocell in Alberta. Oh. Your redneck solution. No offense to any rednecks. Was pretty amazing. Did you piss all over your face? What was it? No, he's, he was lighting the pads with a lighter. Yeah, I forgot oh. the thermocell, but I had the I had the pads. So I just lit them on fire, and I just wafted them around. And when the smoke would run out, I'd light them on fire again. I went through about twelve of them. <laughs> I wouldn't leave the car that without worked? two of those things on at all times. Heck. Alberta's got some crazy mosquitoes. Man. Oh, it's bad. The only thing that I've experienced that's worse is Alaska. Oh, yeah. Alaska mosquitoes. They're bigger than regular mosquitoes. They're more aggressive. You, never, you ever see those Instagram pages where they take pit bulls and they breed them into this strange <laughs> new thing? It just is like it looks like a pit bull, but it's 220 pounds. <laughs> that's Alaska mosquitoes. 
They're 220 just on a, pounds. Another level. They'll <laughs> they have a it's a small hummingbird. But here, no no bugs. Yeah. It's freaking amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. Cam, just, you've you've hunted in Alaska. What is it? Is I'm that it over. the case at high altitude in Alaska? Are there bugs at high altitude there? Um Alaska's not high. No place? Not really. Even in the mountains when you hunt in sheep? Mount McKinley oh. is. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, even sheep country's six thousand. Really? Yeah. That's it? It's not high. What are we at here? Seven. Seven something. Three. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Pulled yeah. up that My Altitude app. But we did, me and, me and Roy did hunt caribou up off the Hall Road, and the mosquitoes were so bad that if we didn't have 100% DEET, which they say, I don't think, they say don't put on your skin, and we had it all over our whole face, all over every inch of our skin, in our mouth, the only, and the mosquitoes would because they could tell where the DEET was, they would, like, hover over your eyeballs. And we wanted to put DEET on our eyeballs, but we didn't. Jesus. That's how bad they were. And they would just bounce off the back of your head, just, like, nonstop. And we, we said, if you didn't have 100% DEET, you would for sure go insane and probably go mad and kill yourself. Renella was telling me that they kill small caribou. Mosquitoes? They, they, they're so ferocious yeah. up there. They get baby caribou, that. and they sting them all around their eyeballs until they die. Do you remember the deep spray they gave us? Oh, yeah. I used to drink that stuff. <laughs> it had yeah. a warning on it. We would saturate our camis and, like, do not wear yeah. for 24 hours. And we would do the jungle trips, and you'd just lay your stuff out and just and then a, immediately just put them on and go out there. It's the only thing that works when it bug, bugs that yeah. bad. The Other. jungle's the only thing worse than the mosquitoes you guys are talking about. Which jungle? Uh, most jungles. Most, most jungles. Any jungle I've ever been in is the <laughs> absolute worst environment humanly possible. Well, which, uh, which jungles stand out? Uh, I was down in Panama. That jungle sucked. I was in Thailand. That jungle sucked. I was in the Philippines. That jungle sucked. <laughs> Every jungle I've ever seen or been in, they suck. Everything in there is sharp. The floor moves. Go ahead and t- lay down and take a nap oh, like I was yeah. doing earlier today. You're going to wake up six feet from where you were with half your skin missing. Uh, there's monkeys in there that are like a foot tall. They're howler monkeys. They scare the shit out of you because it sounds like King Kong's coming through the jungle. <laughs> They'll also steal your stuff. Um, what else is happening? You can't Black s- palm. Yeah. Black the palm is like spikes steal your all stuff. over it. Can you make a deal with them to get the stuff back? Like yeah, you can trade them for a 5.56 five, round and then <laughs> drop it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the jungle's the worst environment I've ever been in. The mosquitoes are just a portion of that. So it's the only way I think that you could make that scenario worse. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I, this I scenario you. here, yeah. from that, the desert obviously is just incredibly hot. Slash cold. So, slash freezing cold. The mountains freezing cold. And here it's just beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It's like the best. Yeah. The views. There were so many times we were today just walking around at the top of the ridge going, look at this place. Yeah. And th- right now the trees are just Color starting change. to turn. Oh. oh, my God. It's stunning. And just for miles and miles, as far as the eye can see, just beautiful mountains and wilderness. Just gorgeous. The only thing you could bitch about here is the wind. Because when we were bow hunting, the wind was everywhere. Spook, yeah. you know, you try to play the wind Shifty. as a bow hunter, you have to. Shifty. And so that's that's really about the only negative you can come up with is, is the wind was unstable. Wasn't that crazy, though, about today? Like when we got to that final place, that just rut fest, where it didn't seem to matter to them 
if they caught our wind. They were so nuts. Yeah, I don't. All I can figure is we just got lucky. I mean, we the one that was coming up to our left. Yes, it did spook. Yes, so it it smelled us. The ones I felt wind at the back of my head a few times, and I thought game's over. And all I can figure is between us and the elk, there had to be some other thermal pushing it some other way. Maybe. So I have a question about this because I've been thinking about this. On our walks in, mm-hmm. a lot of the times the wind is either at our back mm-hmm. because we're going down or it's in an angle, and then we're coming back, looping around to hunt back in. Yeah. So they, I have to assume that they're smelling us a little bit. So is there just a threshold that they will tolerate? Well, when you normally when you cover distance to get the wind right, you're on top of the ridge. Yep. Right? We're like basically right on the top. Yep. Right. So you're, you're hoping that they're not – that close to the top of the ridge. Yeah. And you're hoping that it's doing something different by the time it gets there. But you're just kind of hustling, probably fast, yep. getting down there, tr- hopefully cutting your losses and you're not spooking a bunch of them. And then you come in low or mid or mid ridge level from between the creek and the top of the ridge and have the wind right the whole way. So, there, yeah, I mean, if there's elk on top of the ridge and you got wind at your back, of course you're going to spook them. Okay. I'm right. just curious how far down it goes or how much – of the tolerance they would have. Yeah. The beauty for me so far has been we would do that. We would hustle to get down there, and then it would just shift on us down there, which yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Well, th- there is no to- – <laughs> they, they don't have any tolerance. I mean, that's the thing. I've watched we, more we, than one come right. in and just go, whoop, yeah. I'm going to go check out something over here. That's, Cam, we didn't get barked at at all today. Uh, we didn't. No. That's crazy. I know. I know. You know, I think uh, – we were in so many bulls when it finally got good. You know, we, we stumbled around for a couple hours. With It was just, I mean, we, I think, spent some time, like, working too hard to get on, on some quiet elk. Yeah. And finally we just cut our losses and said, okay, let's, <laughs> we don't need to work this hard because th- we had bulls lighting up. And uh, during We just had that, to make it all the way over to the other right, side. Right, we had to get over there. But once we got over there, it was so insane I think a bark would have just been another noise. Right. Actually, you know what I we mean? had that yeah. this morning. We, we may have had – somebody, somebody may have barked at us, but who knows because there's so many bugles going on. It's, it's Cam has recordings because so, it was so bonkers. As we were walking in, he's just recording it going, this doesn't even make sense. <laughs> Caleb was doing when the same we, thing. He yeah. would just stop yeah. and whip his phone out. Like he's, and it, I'd look back, and he's just like – where am I ever going to hunt after this? There was no, <laughs> not a second where there was no screaming. Yeah, there, yeah. I have I have a minute and some clip, where, but there was just one minute out of an hour. But it was there was never an idle moment of no bugle. Jeez, that's insane. Yeah, it was when unreal. we went in this morning to to recover Jocko's bull. We spotted a really good bull parallel in the hill above us, so we kind of tried to work around, and this bull. There was a big bull high, but there was a kind of a satellite bull underneath. Mm-hmm. And as and we kind of figured we've got to bust this satellite bull to make a play on the bigger bull that was still coming down. And the satellite bull just started barking, like full-blown, like, barks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when he would bark, every other bull that could hear it would bugle to the bark. Yeah. It was like a shock gobble, you know, for like turkeys. <laughs> like slamming and the I'm car sitting door. there thinking like he's trying to tell everybody yeah. that there's people Danger. down here and they're like, I can be louder than that. Yeah. Danger. Yeah, it's like they take it as a challenge. But I did see I don't I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, but a bull bark and turn it the next time the bark into a bugle. 
So it was like, yeah, yep. I've heard he that was a making, times. yeah, he's making an like I'm making a noise and I forgot what I was doing midway through the bark and then just turn it into a bugle. <laughs> That's how wound I, it's up these guys like are. It's almost like they're trying to remember, <laughs> yeah. Like how do I bugle? I've been barking all year, but oh yeah, I got a bugle right now. How yeah. many days do you guys think they get this crazy? Fourteen. This crazy this like crazy? they are today? Uh, I think. Uh, I don't know. It could be could be fourteen, but I would say seven. Really might be, crazy. Might be seven magical days where it's like this, and we hit it. We hit it. Well, we hit there's it. a couple things. The moon is very small. I think fourteen percent was that what it was. So they're not they're not Moon's as act- going down. active as I think it's coming back up. Now I think it was gone. Recently. Was it fully gone mm-hmm. and coming back up? Yeah. So um, that plays into their activity during the day because they're not as active as not at night, and then it's just. Prime time. I mean, yeah. it's just been amazing. We got the lucky time's this week. perfect, and they they can't fully function at night because it's it's pretty dark. Mm-hmm. So they utilize the day. Yeah. Whereas last you year, you could hunt all day. This, I mean, every hour of of daylight, you could get into screaming bulls. If you know, yeah, if you know where they are, and you get within close to their bedroom, and you if you bugle that. That herd bull is going to let you know, like, don't get in here. Mm-hmm. They're talking. Yeah, it was it was it was crazy last night. We we worked pretty hard to get into a group for for Jocko's bull, and his bull was doing a pretty dang good job of fighting off every satellite bull within that canyon. Mm-hmm. And there, the sun was coming down behind his bull, and his bull had fought so many times that the dust in the area was like in the thermals, like lifting up and spinning around. And you could, it looked like a swarm of mosquitoes, but it was just dust just burrowing around and you, you know, and it was just lighting up because of the sunset. That's affecting air quality for one. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. That's why you have to shoot elk. But you know, you see these bulls and every bull we've killed when we skin it out, there's just wounds and bruises. These things have been, at war Getting and, it, and yeah. a, a big part of what should be mentioned is i think there's 80 bulls per 100 cows here which on public land it, there's places that are seven bulls per 100 cows so what that means with 80 bulls per 100 cows is a competition is so fierce a, yeah. a cow comes in heat and these bulls are just drawn to i need to breed that cow but there's other bulls that want to do the same thing and it's just it, it makes for an amazing rut because it's so competitive and Pretty much our calling has no effect. I mean, they're so so insane and intent. And on they're looking doing at what they something do. that's making a vocal noise. So when they hear a vocal sound and don't get a visual, it's obsolete. Yeah. Because they're, they're looking they're at. They're dealing with the stuff in front of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, the, it's, it's timing, but it's also the management of this property that's allowed this, you know, taking old bulls. Um, my bull was nine and a half. Uh, what was Jocko's Jocko's bull? was 11, I think. 11 or 12. I right. took Jocko's mic. Sorry, everyone. Well, I'm going to give it back because I want to say one thing real quick. Um, one thing that I uh, that should be mentioned because I've been on, and, and as you, this long bow hunting journey of 30 years, and the, the success you guys have had as new bow hunters is incredible. <laughs> Part of it is, um, you know, amazing coaching and mentoring as far as hunting goes and getting your equipment set up right and being dedicated to the sport and, and shooting. Um, because when when we came up, there, 
there was, wasn't internet. There, there was sure. no like. Uh, I'll steal a term from you guys, but a boot camp, which is essentially what what you know we've done, and you guys have learned and and taken this on just incredibly well to kill big bulls in your first years of bow hunting. Jocko's very first year is is I, I mean I can't even tell you how against the odds it is. It's oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. Um, I I just want to say how impressed I am with with that, and then seeing. Um, not only the result, the results, you know, I wasn't with Jocko, John was, I've never been with Andy when he's been successful, but seeing Joe make the shot today that he made was, I mean, it was unreal. 67 yards and, and as calm as anybody can be and put that arrow in if inside a, of a coffee cup, it more than that. I, I say next, like a, a bottle, like a, like a 12 ring. <laughs> yeah. And it was like one of the most beautiful things I've seen watching an arrow arc and hit in there. And so I just want to acknowledge the, you know, I, I, I but mean, Joe brought up a good point too. He says, I think part of it is training. I just want to touch on it real yeah. quick is the, the military training. It's the same. It's the same, but different. I think, you know, when you get dedicated to a weapon in a, in a process and that's what you do. And then Joe, same with the, with the training for martial arts. You know, it's not that once you, you got to be dedicated to the, to the journey and the Everyone process. Everyone in here is committed to a process that they were taught to be at their best. That, that helps, but you're not going to get there without great mentoring. It's because of you guys, for sure. It's uh, because uh, Cam introduced me to bow hunting and, and helping me and, and with you guiding me today, made a gigantic difference. And and also m- motivation wise, I, I mean, I wanted to make you happy. You know, I mean, this was I'm here because of you. I mean, that's that's how I got into bow hunting, 100. percent You know, with you coaching me, with John teaching me. I mean, it's, I'm so fortunate. There's no way I would be a fraction of su- as successful as I've been without you guys, or a, a fraction of the skill that I have. I think that applies to all of us. Yeah, I for mean, the sure. first time I went bow hunting, he peeled off five days of a ten-day hunt to be over my shoulder, and I'm just like, "What?" He's like, "You're ready." I'm like, oh, "Okay, cool. Where should I look?" <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's like it's like Hicks and Gracie uh, privately coaching you how to do jujitsu every day. Yeah, like yeah, and and not even not even training himself, you know, just coaching you. It's crazy. You know, we're just real, real lucky. Yeah, so I agree. thank you guys. Appreciate it, fellas. To me, I mean, this is. One of the fav- my favorite thing I do a lot of crazy shit. This is one of my favorite things I've ever done in all of my life, and uh, it's better for sure because of you guys. Well, I think there's so much importance to to you three and bringing a very positive attention to what you know. Are you thirty years? You thirty? You said thirty years bow hunting. Thirty one. I started when I was nine. 43 now so i mean cam and i have honestly we probably i would say it'd be safe to say we we had 40 years probably before we ever experienced like what you guys have in the last year i mean you know we i can't even tell you how many times i went whitetail hunting and had no idea that you shouldn't put a stand up where the sun's on you in the evening or I would just, I had one stand that I could afford. So I never even thought about what ways the wind blowing today. I just wanted to hunt. So I just went and my wind was wrong the whole night and I never saw anything. And then finally someone came along and they're like, 
you hunt here all the time? Your wind is always blowing in the food crop. And I'm like, what does that mean? How about put it on the other side of the field where the sh- where you're in the shadows in the evening and your wind is blowing away from the food source that everything's coming to. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Thanks for telling me. I've been doing this for the last three years and haven't ever seen anything. You know, <laughs> it's, I, I mean, and the I think the whole the whole synergy of what's going on with guys like yourselves and, you know, recognizing something that we're super passionate about, you know, this is like ultimately been our lives and it's rewarding for me. I mean, for me to give up half of my hunt to, you know, like I told you, Jocko, I'm not shooting unless you shoot, you know, and this is, this is a hunt of a lifetime for, for me, you know, to, for me to, to be able to come here with really good friends, it's a hunt of a lifetime, but there's no way I would, you know, I, I would, I really want to make sure you're, you're good to go. I wanted to make sure when I hunted with Joe a few times, I like really wanted to make sure he was good. I know Cam did the same with Joe with Andy. It's like, you know, I hunted to the point where I feel like he really understood a lot of things. And, and yeah, then at some point you have to let, that person well andy told me he was sick of you hanging around so okay <laughs> yeah yeah my sister's not having any success at all when he's there <laughs> no what's what i think is awesome is it's awesome like these guys have just said we've been blessed or whatever you want to call it to have you guys like straight up on us helping us but what's really incredible is the fact that you guys do this for for the grand, for the public, for for yeah. everyone. Everyone go to your YouTube channel, look at your Instagram, see what Cam's doing today, see what John Dudley's doing today. And you're going through the details of exactly how to do, I mean, the stuff that you've told me to do, when I watch your videos, I'm like, he told me that, he told me that, yep, he told me that. You're, you're giving the information away. You know, when you want to know what Cam's doing to get ready for, for the hunt, like, here's what he's shooting, here's the distance he's shooting. I'm looking down on Instagram going, oh, okay, that looks like a good plan. So the fact that you guys are giving this information out as broadly as you possibly can, that's unbelievable because you're not just opening the door to three people sitting in this room that happen to know you. You're opening the door to millions of people that, that listen to you and can follow you. So I think there's a whole lot of people that appreciate what you're doing, not just us three knuckleheads sitting here. For sure. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys for sure have changed bow hunting. No question about it. You really have changed the way people approach it. Cam, for sure, you changed the way people view it in terms of, like, the athletic requirements, you know. And, John, your coaching has completely shifted the way people use release aids and and just having that knock-on video series where people can go over step-by-step. And even you even show them how to tune a bow and how to set it up, how to, how to make your arrows, how to fletch, all that stuff. I mean, and for someone who lives where there's no good bow shop but they're really intrigued by it, that's invaluable. It's massive. Yeah. Massive. The bummer part is everything's there that you that anyone needs to to have the success that we're talking about today. But it's just too bad that there's so many people that aren't really really wanting to put in the effort to to do it. Yeah, but know? that's the case with everything, man. Yeah. That's the case with martial arts. It's the case with everything I've ever co- comedy. It's the case with everything. It's people that half-ass life. Yeah. 
What do you say to that, Jocko? 100%. If you don't have the discipline to go out and do what you're supposed to do every day, <laughs> nothing's going to work out for yeah. you. Yeah. I mean, I guess we could all guess that that's what I was going to say. Discipline <laughs> 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 equals. No big shocker. <laughs> yeah. But that's what you got to do to make th- make things happen. It's not. It's no. There's no big magical surprise. It's like, oh, if you want to get better at shooting a bow, you got to go out and shoot your bow. You want to get better at writing comedy, you got to write comedy. I mean, how much crap have you written? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'll show it to you. <laughs> you go, who is this idiot? <laughs> Why did he think this was funny? What do you start with? The beginning? Of- Zero. I start just staring at a blank screen in a computer. I mean, you think, are you thinking of the end first or the beginning? Or just whatever comes to your mind. He just, just needs one good, I would assume, one thing that you think's funny and then build off of it. Sometimes. Sometimes I don't have anything. I just start writing shit out, and it's nonsense. <laughs> or paragraph <laughs> after paragraph. And then I might get 800 pages or 800 letters in, 800 words rather in, and I have nothing. And then I have a, a one sentence, and I'm like, huh, what's that? And I'll cut and paste that one sentence in a totally blank document, and I'll stare at it. I'll smoke a joint. <laughs> I'll go back and look at it sideways, and then um, I'll write some extra stuff on top of that. I'll expand on it. I'll, like, explain it to a child. I'll explain it to an old person. I'll explain it to a cop. I, I write it out a bunch of different ways. I'm like, well, that sucks, too. And then I'll start again tomorrow, and then I'll start with something else. And sometimes I just have a great idea, and I write most of those are on my phone. You know, yeah. they come out of nowhere, and I just have to just write it down as quick as I can, and then I'll sit down and try to expand that. But that doesn't give me any excuse. If I don't have any ideas on my phone, I still have to write. So I just just sit there and just try to – and that's how you farm. You want to farm ideas? you got to show up every day at the crack of dawn. you got to be out there. Yep. Otherwise, it doesn't grow. It's the only way. And it's a lot of comics don't do that, and they don't write very many jokes. You and I were talking the other day about – uh, we were talking about someone who we won't, we don't have to say, but we were talking about someone who kept asking me how to how to improve their shooting, and I kept repeating the same thing. And I was yeah. talking, and and they kind of said like, I don't have the time to to go through like the school knock, and I don't have time to work with a silverback or attention based release. And then you looked at me, and you're like, No one has less time than me, bitch, and I do it. You know, yeah. and I said that's actually really relevant because you don't have time to to bow hunt no you definitely don't have time to practice with a bow no but two weeks were you were you taking a a target with you to a hotel (laughs) to a jiu-jitsu camp so that you could shoot (laughs) because i did (laughs) wasn't a hotel but it's a camp okay yeah but still i I mean i did bring my bow and shoot at at camp if you want to do something, you have to make time to do it, and you have to commit to it. Got to have that yeah. discipline. If you don't, it's, you're just you're not going to get there. You're not going to get there. There's there's no substitute for time, you know, time and effort and focus. The only shortcut is, and that's what I've learned from you guys, is knowledge. You know, that's the big shortcut is learning from you guys has cut dramatically on my learning curve. Like, if you went to my studio and looked at the wall, you'd be like, what, have you been bow hunting for 30 years? Like, it's just all these heads. And there's all these skulls up there. But no, that's five years of bow hunting. Yep. Thank you guys for learning those lessons the hard way. So Yeah. (laughs) We did. I'll (laughs) guarantee it. Sometimes Cam and I have talked about, 
I mean, we start saying, do you remember those? And he said a few where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I don't remember that. And then I said, do you remember this? And he's like, remember yesterday I said, imagine yeah. if imagine if these guys had to shoot with, what did we say? Oh, oh. those old uh, Cobra sights, yeah. the metal Cobra sights that screwed flat to your riser, mm-hmm. and you had – Three brass pins that you would unscrew it, and you could yeah, move you, it in or out, and you would lock it down, and you'd move it up or down on a rail. Yeah, and it was just a it was just a brass pin that came out with the with the bulb on the end of it, yeah. and it was on a flat rail, and it's not like there was micro adjustment. Once you um, bite bit that thing down once or twice, like that's so where it was. And the sight would just have dense and bent like it's like just <laughs> mutilated because you of course you didn't shoot were shit so your pins were always changing yeah we're talking about one part of your setup which <laughs> to go then, through the other part well the yeah like when i when i first started my first rest was called a flipper rest oh yeah and all that NAD did flipper it just uh it was like double-sided tape kind of stuck to it the was riser 3M double-sided tape and it had a little wire springy thing yeah and and it just would stick out and your 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 arrow would sit on it right against the riser so you talk about like we have drop away rest now with zero contact yeah it was slamming into everything on the way by (laughs) i mean the first the very first ones you stuck them onto the riser so like that was your center shot yeah it didn't matter if your arrow was tuned half an inch inside of center that's where it's stuck. And then mm-hmm. finally someone's like, hey, our arrows are constantly fishtailing <laughs> yeah. to the target because the rest needs to be out. So then they made it on a screw. Mm-hmm. So you could screw it further yeah. out and then tighten the nut. And, yeah, the reason people shot feathers is because you contacted everything going yeah. through the bow, and the feathers would at least lay flat and, res- like, limit the amount of contact. Right. So n- – and and – Back then, the releases weren't like they are now, like John's release or even my spot hog. So I didn't even have one. I so had that three-finger tab, tab with the buckskin on it. So what, what, people, what you do now is you your bow is set up perfect, your arrows are matched perfect, and if you just point it and do everything right, you release that. Nothing happens. There's no string tweak. There's no wrist torque. Nothing happens, and so the arrow is unimpeded. Because you let it go, perfect. So the string didn't come to the side. Or your fing- didn't have to go around your fingers to yeah. get off your fingers. And the rest is gone. So it's unimpeded. Yeah. When we started, all that, the string would have to come ar- around the, your fingers. And then it'd slam into the <laughs> riser. And then you're like. Then you got dog shit and, pins. And so the goal was, here's how far you can shoot. If you can keep four out of five arrows in a paper, paper plate. plate, that's the distance you can shoot. Oh, yeah. So so the goal was to get a group like this. If you could do this at 40, you were you were the freaking stud. <laughs> you were the So bomb. now you guys know what you do. You shoot at 80 like, you know, yeah. like a baseball. <laughs> What's the closest you guys have gotten to giving up bow hunting due to just absolute frustration? Uh, usually about <laughs> a couple of times a month. <laughs> <laughs> That's you true guys, for him. You guys were around before range finders. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. The very first rangefinder, I remember you had to roll this dial, mm-hmm. and you had, you you looked through this eyepiece, and half of the eyepiece was was, was like a, a zero objective. It was, it was, oh, it was just like this. Yeah. It was about this how, long. Yep. And you'd but it like was this. way thicker. He's holding, for everybody listening, 
He's holding so, up a DirecTV remote. Yeah, yeah that's how big it roll was. It, and then the in, yeah, then the images would be like this, and it'd go like this, and then when you got the yardage on, they'd be lined up. And you'd have to look at the dial, and it would say like 42. And that was amazing. It was just a focal objective is what <laughs> – yeah, and that was a game changer oh, for bow hunting. That was huge. If you had a ranging rangefinder, that was the brand. Yeah, you were you were balling. What yeah. year was this? This was like for me. It was like late eighties, late eighties, early nineties is when yep. rangefinders may, maybe came out. Late eighties. Yeah. When I first started, I was like, if I had killed everything I shot at, I'm like, I would be a legend. I miss so many big things, like giant elk and uh, big bucks. And I'm like, it there was, was so impossible. much big stuff running around because no one could hit anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. It is true. Pre-crossbow, right? But, but, okay, so listen, but here's the crazy thing. All that being said, so now we have this advancement in technology and, the, and we're so much better and all the coaching – it's still freaking bow hunting. You can still fuck it up. I have. Yeah. I mean, hundred percent. It, it's. It's. I mean, it's still your close range animals. Red zone. It can move. You can make a mistake. I mean, it's still the the fine line of success and failure is still razor thin. Yeah. You said a. You said something today that at first I disagreed with, but then I realized what you said, and I thought, oh yeah, you're hundred percent right. You said. No one can ever master bow hunting. And I was about to say, no, I, I feel like someone can master archery, but I go, oh, no. You're right. Bow hunting, I agree. Mm-hmm. You can't master it. I feel like someone could master archery, but bow hunting, the variables, it's just like when you talk about jiu-jitsu. The body manipulates in so many ways, and then there's thousands of people that their body manipulates differently to the next person. So with with animals, the bull that you shot, I'll guarantee you would respond like in some way is different than the one Joe shot or the one Jocko shot. You know they're they're all so different, and then the conditions of where you were, all of you were in a different place. And then that day for the bull, if that bull had just gotten a fight and got beat, he's mad. He's coming. He here's a uh, what he thinks is a cow. He wants a cow because he just got his ass kicked yeah. over a cow. It's just so, yeah, it's just, I mean, they have personality and situations just like we do. You could never prepare enough to master it because there's no way for you to fully prepare. Yeah. It's, you have to be ready and you have to tick all the boxes that you can to be prepared. And then you have to let the cards fall out on the table as they may. And if you're lucky, you've seen them fall that way before. So you have an advantage. Well, I was even thinking today we were in so close to so many bulls and we were just right on the cusp of the wind screwing everything up. And so we're basically just fingers crossed, you know. (laughs) And all it takes is like, so there's a little five point that walked by maybe at 30 yards. What if he went downwind when instead of he went up the hill? Yep. If he would have blown that up, the bull Joe killed would have been gone so the decision that that animal made to go one way or another the the wind currents which nobody can control those yeah um a big thing i have and i was telling these guys uh, we were stuck in the sun and it was just driving me crazy i never want to be in the sun and it's just like all those 
all those little micro decisions or little happenstance things where you can do everything right. You can, you know, walk your ass off. You can prepare for months. And all it takes is some weird little thing. And it's like, Dinky. that's what I say is bow hunting is soul crushing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> but then also because so much is invested and what I, what I mentioned today to Joe is like some people go through life and they go to work and their, their trend goes down a little bit. They get off work and it's up. Go to work, down. Off work, up. We go heartbreak down to the floor, success up to the ceiling. And it's just like so many peaks and valleys, but because of the extreme nature of them, it's like today you would think me and Joe were gay. We, be, we said, <laughs> we hugged and said we loved each other. Yep. So Jesus. I don't, I don't on know. Video, <laughs> on video, after a shot. On, and Joe's been showing this video and he just. I cut it off right before that spot. Coincidentally <laughs> enough, stops it right before we, <laughs> we exchange vows. You can trim the, <laughs> you can trim the video. No, no, no. But, the thing is, though, we were so <laughs> excited. It was so ridiculous because we had already experienced some lows where blown stalks and the wind fucked us up and we got real close and we thought it was going to happen and it didn't at one time uh this bull had spotted us and cam's like just draw just draw and it was at like 58 yards i draw on him and it looks like we're gonna have him. he's totally broadside he's a huge bull he's in the sun and then he he sees me draw he's like i'm out of here and he takes off and I'm trying to follow him. I follow him. He's in Cam's making cow calls, and I think he's probably like 10 yards further. So I'm like thinking I'm going to aim it at the top of his back. I'm, I'm following him. I'm following him. And then he's gone. And Cam falls to the ground like somebody electrocuted him. Like, ah! <laughs> you can see like the actual, the agony. Like the real, uh, we thought we had it. Ah! I was in real pain. Real, like legit pain. <laughs> so then when... I make this shot, and it just center punched this elk. We were just beyond. You know, it was above the moon. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. Those highs are just, like you said, most people just don't experience highs mm -hmm. like that. They just don't, they don't ever get there. That's one thing. I'm thankful for social media. I'm thankful for, we all play, you know, social media is a big part of what we do. So we can share this journey. But I think um, even though it's not quite two wieners touching gay, but <laughs> it's a little bit gay, but it's like... <laughs> When people see that, they're going to see that passion because it's real. It was raw. Yeah. It was real. And I can't help but think people are going to say, I don't have that passion in my life. Right. Yeah. If bow hunting gives these guys that much, I need to know more about it. The you journey know? to get to that spot. There's two so people here long. for sure that, like, I think, I mean, Jocko's been here. Jocko's done it once. But I know for sure for Andy – I've seen it in his face where I knew it was life-changing. Like, I knew 100%. And for you, I know it changed your life 100%. Yeah, no doubt. The The road to get to where you can stay calm and execute a 67-yard shot on a screaming bull, stud, herd bull. Like, that's a long road, man. A lot of people don't want It's like the road to get a black belt. Right, Jocko? You remember the first day of jiu-jitsu? Yeah. Imagine yeah. that one day you'd I just remember be mine. strangling people. <laughs> <laughs> Should have tapped. Should have tapped. <laughs> Should have tapped, Dudley. <laughs> Andy you know, loves that. Andy, you, uh, have you got a blue belt yet? I did. I got, blue belt. I got my blue belt about a month ago. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, remember when you first started, like the idea of tapping people on a regular basis seemed like almost alien, right? 
Uh, yes, it was. I've, I'm like, okay, I'm trying very hard. You're not trying hard. Yeah, <laughs> I'm stronger than you, and in my mind, I'm saying, if I really tried to push you off of me, you would get off of me. And then I would try, and it's like, what in the fuck? I can't get you off me. <laughs> Oh, by the way, the person I'm talking about is on top of me. It's a woman. I can't get her off of me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. You got tapped by a chick? Oh, yeah. <sighs> One of the main instructors where I train is a female black belt, and she's a savage. She's awesome. I got a female black belt in my school that taps out dudes regularly. On the regular. She taps out black, be- black belt guys. Yeah. It happens. Every open mat, she's out there handing people their I ass. believe it, man. My friend Felicia, Felicia O, it was a, a time when there's a guy named Seymour Butts. <laughs> he was a, uh, a porn okay. star who had a Showtime show. What? He had a, yeah, he had a Showtime show. It was like way back in the day. Showtime had this show, and it was about him. And this is like, we're talking 2002-ish. And so he wanted to do this episode where he would go to a jiu-jitsu school and learn jiu-jitsu and, like, get beat up by a girl. And I guess he probably thought that a girl wouldn't really beat him up. And Felicia is about 135 pounds. And, dude, she's super technical and strong. Like She's always doing kettlebells and stuff. But I think in his mind, no, this is a 135-pound woman. This is just like this is never going to happen. And she just kept strangling him over and over again, getting him in arm bars, triangle, taking his back, choking the shit out of him. (laughs) And, I mean, mauled this guy, mauled him, like tapped him eight, nine, ten times. And uh, that shit never made air. <laughs> that, that footage never made the air. And we, we were sitting there. It was uh, before 10th Planet really had a gym. We were at this place called the Bomb Squad. And 10th Planet, like, as a, an idea, just had started. And uh, we were both uh, standing there. I mean, Eddie Bravo and I were standing there watching Felicia just manhandle this dude going, this is why women should learn jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. It's one of the rare martial arts where a person could be weaker than you and fuck you up. Because the reality of striking is uh, a lot. I mean, it's definitely skill, you know, definitely technique. All those things are great. But if a guy just knows a couple things, you know how to throw a jab and a right hand and you know distance, but you have, like, Deontay Wilder power, mm-hmm. like, you're going to fuck people up. Like, that's just how it works. Like, that never exists in jiu-jitsu. There's no guy who just has ne- there's no experience, but he's strong and he's, he knows how to move quick and he just beats everybody in jiu-jitsu. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It's the rare martial art where you see it's like a, you know, in Bruce Lee movies, the little guy beats the big guy. In the real world, the little guy gets smashed. <laughs> That's just how it goes. Yeah. Because the little guy punches the big guy in the face and he goes, oh, really? And then he grabs your little tiny body and drills it into the ground. Yeah. You know, but that doesn't, in jujitsu, those big guys, they don't, they don't know what's happening. So they're making moves and they're exposing their back or they're exposing their limbs or they don't know, they don't, even if they try to finish a technique, they don't know they're doing it wrong. So they're just gassing their arms out and they have all this muscle that has to be fed by oxygen and they just tire out so quickly, and then they can't believe they're getting, ah, 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 and they're tapping, and there's a chick behind them, and she's just wrenching on their <laughs> neck, and, and she's got them in a body triangle, and they can't believe they're tapping, but they, ah, ah, they can't get that fucking forearm off their throat, <laughs> and that's, that's reality. That's the reality of jiu-jitsu, but the road to get from being a regular woman to being 
this Felicia O character or the the woman yeah. that you know or the woman that you know over a decade. That, that is an incredible person. Yeah. That's an incredible person. That road to have the, the physical um th- this gigantic disadvantage. You don't have the physical strength, you know? Like it's it's that's an incredible person. And so this path is it's it parallels bow hunting. It parallels a lot of things. The first day you start it, you're like, this is crazy. Like, I remember Cam taking me into my backyard, and we're, we're shooting these, uh, these targets that I ha- had set up. And, you know, he, he brought me a bow. And I remember thinking, watching this guy's videos on, on YouTube, that this guy's, like, killing elk in the mountains? Like, how do you, how do you, I, I can't even shoot this stupid target that's 20 feet away from me. Like, how are you shooting elk, and they're moving, and they're on a hill? They're above you? you got to shoot up? Like, how, it's the road is so long that most people, to learn correctly, to go from one to where you guys are at, it's just, it's too far. It's definitely easier now. Yeah, it's way easier it's now. It's like, there's a big buffet that's spread out there, but what you put on your plate and what you eat is really up to you. But it's all out there. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't. I've done the best job I possibly can to not have any secret. Like I don't feel like you. Well, Andy, you know me probably. Well, you and Joe know me better than anyone here. And is there anything where I've like told you where I said this isn't something I've talked about? Not really. Mm-hmm. You spill. You spill it out for everybody. But that's also why you've got this dedicated following of people that, you know, learn from you. You know, they know that, like, you, you talk about your failures. You talk about – and as do you, Cam. You're always talking about that first bull you shot and, mm-hmm. you know, you, you waited so long to get that opportunity and the fucking arrow bounces off his shoulder. Yeah. And it's – yeah. And that was just – that should have been a sign that this is going to be really painful. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be times where I question – my life, like my life decisions, and I've been on hunts that you know it's like a dream hunt. So I paid a lot of money to be there, and it was a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I thought, you know, if I screw up, I'm letting down my family and people who believed in me. It's like, what am I doing? What? Why can't I? Maybe I should just give this up and do something else. It's like it has you questioning everything you've done and all the sacrifices you've made, and it's just like, God, is it worth it? And then. Then we have days like today, yeah, where it's it's uh, it feels. I said after you did that, I said if I die, I was leaning against a tree and his bulls is laying right there, and I said if I die right now, I'm gonna be happy. I, this I'm I'm good. I'm good. I can die. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how good it was. Yeah, Jocko's coming in, coming in hot. You know, we're talking a lot about like this big reward and all that. But one thing that I just like about things is last night I shot this bull, wounded it, it ran, we followed his blood, we it got dark, we lot we the blood fizzled out right there. We couldn't see it anymore. It was it too didn't dark to fizzle see. Out, it didn't fizzle out. We couldn't it see it. It made anymore. a sharp turn to where we couldn't identify with headlamps. So we're we're out there, and you know Dudley's like, all right, we're 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 done for the night, and uh, so now all we had was a 
five and a half mile walk uphill <laughs> out of there. And the whole time I'm walking up, I, I just was like, this is awesome. There's no reward. There's n- I got nothing from this other than this, what I'm getting right now, which is I'm going to walk <laughs> and just just walk out here in the dark, in the woods, uphill for five and a half miles. This is at this is the tail end of whatever, 11 miles that we walked that day. Yeah. But, you know, like the reward is that. That to me, that was the reward. I got a reward from that. Now, of course, it was nice to go back down the, that morning, find that last piece of blood, and then boom, a hundred meters away, there it was. That was freaking awesome. But you know, like I think everyone here has a personality. Like basically, I'm saying this: we can't say jujitsu is for everybody because it's not. Because sometimes it sucks, and there's a lot of times when I was growing up, trying to you know train all the time. You don't want to train. You didn't want to train. You don't want to go. It's like, oh, I got home from work. I was work, work, just worked a 13-hour day. It's 7 o'clock at night. Guess what I'm going to do, go do right now? I'm going to go train. Why? Because I know I have to because that's the way it is. There's, there's no reward to that. The reward would be mint chocolate chip ice cream and, and watching TV. That's a good reward. No, negative, not happening. Sometimes the reward is like the reward is a something that you're, you – that's it. This suck is a reward. You know what? Tomorrow's going to be a long day too. Oh, yeah. Good. I'm 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 actually pumped to go out there and grind on those mountains and that's what we're going to do and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a hopefully it's not a real long day. <laughs> that's what they call a growth mentality. That's how you grow. You have to have that mentality. The people that are just comfortable with stagnation, they never think of things that way. You know, the, that video that I've talked about this on my podcast maybe a 100 times. I love your video. The good video. Oh, 200 at least. I fucking love it. Because I think about that sometimes. I think about that when I'm running and I'm tired. Oh, exhausted? Can't breathe? Good. <laughs> that means you need to get in better shape. Now you know it. You know? Yeah. Oh, you're tired? You can't do another set? Good. That means you burnt your body out and now you have time to recover. You know, like all that stuff. Like difficult things. You should embrace them. It's just a mindset. You know, if you look at it like, God, I can't believe how hard this is. Well, then you're looking at the negative aspect of it, but there's always a positive aspect of it. That video should be required viewing for every teenage boy. Like, yeah, you want to bitch and moan about life? This is this is life, bitch. Good. Yeah. Yep. And you're going to feel, I mean, even Cam's saying, who's obviously dedicated his life to bow hunting, and, and Andy says, you know, how often do you, or when's the last time you wanted to get up or whatever your question was? He's like, oh, three times a month. <laughs> three <laughs> times a month I want to get rid of this freaking thing that I've dedicated my whole life to. Why? Well, because if, you didn't, if it didn't make you feel that way, what good? You know what? Yeah. I never want to give up. I never th- am watching TV and I'm like, man, this sucks. I, no, like that's why it sucks. It sucks because it doesn't suck. <laughs> Did you get fired? TV sucks because it doesn't suck. <laughs> Did you get fired up when people in your buds class would quit? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely stoked. It was always cool. <laughs> <laughs> it was always cool because, I mean, no, just I'm the, just curious because those are the people who make it through. We got yelled at by the time we were in third phase because the bell would ring in our class. Was just like, yeah, and the person out of the bell is having the worst day of their life. <laughs> I, I just, I, I didn't really get it. Like, hey, we're gonna be cold and wet and sandy. Like, didn't, didn't did anyone tell you what this was going to be about? That's what we're going to do. It's going to suck. Yeah, yeah, get some. Like, I I was always surprised. It, it always, it still is surprising that out of every hundred, these, these dudes are studs, too. Like, the guys that show up there, 
they're guys they're in great physical condition they've been wanting to do this you don't just like do it on the weekend say oh i think i'm gonna be a seal no these are guys that have been thinking about it and they've read books and they've done these things and you show up there and all of a sudden 80 percent of the people quit it's ridiculous it's freaking ridiculous you guys should check out day one people who have expressed that this is their lifelong goal 15 guys are gone day one it's unbelievable yeah. And by that, I mean fucking awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of people huh? that just kind of don't really want to be there, I guess, in the end. But why take the time? I don't know, man. I don't know. know if, I don't know what they're thinking. But I didn't think it was, it was, look, I was, I'm not trying to say it's easy, but it's not that big of a deal. It truly is not that big of a deal. You're wet, you're cold, you're sandy for, uh, for a while. I think it depends on how you mentally approach it. Got to watch that video. <laughs> yeah. My number one tool as a buds instructor is I try to get them to think about where they were and how much farther they had to go to meet their goal. <laughs> I seriously, that's yeah, all no, I would do. Awesome. I would sit there and I would try to make it the way I describe it is, you know, like make your world big or small. And the students, like I, I loved uh, augmenting the hell week shift. Mm-hmm. It's the fifth week of training. Starts Sunday at about 8 p.m. Ends Friday at 6 p.m. Somewhere you get two hours of sleep on Wednesday. The vast majority of the attrition occurs during this week, and it's 24 hours in the first phase, guys, which is the first phase of BUDS, even though it didn't used to be. Right? Third phase was first, because that makes sense. Uh, no, first phase was first. Second phase was third. Third phase was second. Perfect. Was that sounds like something the Navy would do. <laughs> but so you have to augment. And so I was a second phase instructor, but I would go, and I, I went through my entire BUDS, 18 months of being a BUDS instructor. I'd never yelled once because I hated the buds instructor that yelled at me. And I would try to talk quietly so they would have to listen. I would just wa- I would start with the OIC, the officer in charge of the class, and I would just start talking. Like, I, this is my favorite shift. I always did the midnight shift. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with you until you quit. We have seven days together. I'm never going to leave your side. You're going to be so cold. You're going to be hungry and tired. And you'd see it when they'd start to think about how long they're going to be there, the seeds of doubt. And then, of course, you water that and just try to eject them and it, you could just go down the line, and either you'd get in their head or you wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And the ones you could tell that just didn't care, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to basically get through you talking to me right now. I'm going to keep my world small and then go to the next evolution. They're bomb-proof. Mm-hmm. The advice I got going through BUDS was uh, don't even think about the 180 days. Just see the sunrise. Just focus on seeing the sunrise tomorrow. If you want to quit, then do it You know, the next day. Keep your world small? Explain that. So Hell Week is a week long. So the people that I could get to quit were the ones who would think about, it's Monday, I have to make it until Friday. I would get them to focus on how far they were from their goal. The ones who I could not get to quit were the ones who would flip that on their head and say, I don't care how far I am from my goal, I just care about the next step that I have to take. And they would only look right at that step. So they would set short-term goals. And the advice I got going through training was, don't think about it in terms of being a week Think about it like this. They have to feed you every six hours. Just make it to the next meal. And that's all I thought about. I was like, uh, I didn't even know what meal it was. Well, I mean, you can kind of tell because the sun was either up or down. But that's all I thought about. I never once thought about what day it was, how much farther I had to go. I just like, you know what? I'm just going to make it to the next meal. Because stuff sucks. You're cold and you're like, yeah, but you know what? It's going to be maximum six hours. So you just focus on that process. And get your mind off of the end state because you're going to get to the end state by focusing on that process. Just keeping it super, super, super small. Yeah. Do you think that... You're indestructible if you do that. I could not get the students to quit because you can reduce it even farther. 
Six hours is too much. Okay, I'm going to make it through this evolution. I have an instructor standing in front of my face saying he's going to ruin my life. I'm just going to focus on getting him to go say that to somebody else. Do you th- and then you reset. Do you think you can? that's a learned thing, or do you think that's how people are to be able to have the mindset? Like Jocko said, you know, he's looking forward to tomorrow being a long day. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's my contention that you're born like that, as, and that's just how you are. Both can be taught. I think personally, like think, me- think, mental toughness to me is a combination of resilience and how you approach your goals. Right. Mentally resilience. People, I think largely are soft because they don't choose to bend themselves. They wait until life bends them. And they're like, Oh my God, I can't take this. victim. Yeah. But if you have the mentality of this sucks and this is awesome, I'm going to go bend myself before life ever does. Yeah. You fall back into that bomb proof category. Mm. If you pair that with, being mentally tough, which you can teach people to change how they approach their goals, and it will change the outcome. It's not going to make like a 180-degree shift mm-hmm. on their life, but it'll yeah. it'll navigate their compass or calibrate it in the right direction. I just more. I see people quit, and they always quit. They quit forever. I mean, it's just yeah. like any time it gets tough, they're done. Right, but yeah. stop for a second. Think about what you told me earlier today about Courtney, that Courtney quit her first 100-miler race at 60 miles yeah. because she couldn't take the pain. Mm-hmm. And then she realized, oh, I'm okay the next day, even mm-hmm. though I quit. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not an injury. It's mm-hmm. just pain. And then she learned how to embrace the pain right. and live in that pain cave. And she became one of the biggest beasts in all of ultra-marathon She's probably the, the best she's a woman savage. ever. She's yeah, a savage. The, the difference there is she ran 60 miles. She's already right. tougher than almost everybody. Yeah. You right. know what I mean? Right. So she just took her toughness to another level. Mm. But, yeah, I don't know. I just I think about that often, you know, because um, I, I don't know too many people who have the mindset that, that Jocko explained. And that the, the good video, I mean, I so many people send me good, good. You know, it's just like that's like a mantra for, I don't know, when you put that out. But I remember playing it at work and, like, sending it to my boss and, then I see it on my Instagram all the time. So it's like, thank you for the good. It's, it's like <laughs> been amazing. And uh, I was kind of being a little bit dramatic about quitting bow hunting and all that. But I, I thought of an example. I remember me and my brother, we were doing the Bigfoot 200, 200 mile race. And we were at mile 135. It was two in the morning. And I remember looking at him going, how awesome is this? <laughs> this, this is what we do. I mean, I, I seriously loved it. And so that's, I don't know. I wonder if, I often wonder if that's the makeup of the person from day one or if it can be learned. Were you always like that? I, I mean, I remember when I, I started school early, so I was five in the first grade, and I ran, uh, I would go before school, five years old, by myself and run a mile every day and ran 30 miles like my first month of like some contest but so i feel like i've always been about the same i mean a five-year-old a mile is a long way for a five-year-old and i would just go before school by myself that's very unusual (laughs) i think so so i just i don't know i just there's definitely people that have that bred into them for sure i just think i think you can enhance what people already have by teaching yeah i think i think there's definitely a like a balance because for me I was never told that when I was young I think it might have been in there but it took someone to water it 
Like, I remember getting to the point where I had to – the varsity football coach knew that – I think he knew that I had the potential to, you know, to lead his team. So he embraced me as a freshman and just – you know, he just – he was really, really hard on me and, like, pushed me to the point where is this kid going to break? And then he – and then he did a really good job of of pretty much just telling me like what wasn't acceptable and if I was going to if I was going to give in with this, then I might as well not play football for the next three years because if I was gonna break now, then he didn't want me four years from now. Mm-hmm. And so I ha- I had mentors that I had mentors that, that really pushed me. And, but and were you had you had you been a quitter before that? Like I was a, a skater. Yeah. So I mean, I you mean by skating by? No, like skateboarding. Oh, okay. You know, I was never, I was never Skate really, I was never really a competitor. When I first played football, I was, it, it was when I was ten. I was five to one hundred and thirty pounds. When I, when I was, my first time as like on varsity, I was six to 145 pounds Mm. so i mean i went from like the short fat kid that got pushed around a lot didn't want anything to do with football to then all of a sudden meeting someone that saw potential and kind of molded it Mm -hmm. so to speak and but it's it's hard to say like maybe that competitive nature was always in there but nothing ever brought it out yeah i I mean do you guys in i mean buds is notoriously one of the hardest training segments you can do or mm-hmm. tasks or challenges or whatever you want to call it. Do you see somebody, have you seen somebody who comes in and you, they're probably all, did you say beast when they show up, all of them? Not all of them, but the, the kids coming in nowadays are kind of studs right now. Yeah. The pipeline's, I think, 14 weeks. And yeah. I always tell people this when I tell them about buds. If you can show up for day one, you possess physiologically the ability to graduate right okay because you you already have done so many run and swim and push up and pull like you've already done all the tests yeah you have the ability to do it that's not the muscle that fails have have you seen people who like were would quit or you thought there's no way this guy's gonna make it and then they shock you yes yeah okay. you definitely see that oh, and you, you see also see that. the people you think are like just studs yeah that's running for the common. bell hey, right. I, I don't think it's impossible to learn mental toughness i don't think it is i think you have to decide you have to decide that you want to learn mental toughness mm-hmm. and you want to be mentally tough i think some people are born mentally tough mm-hmm. there's some people whether it's genetics or whether it's learned behavior from people around them some people are just inherently mentally tough. Mm-hmm. Some people are inherently mentally soft, but those people can learn mental toughness, but most won't because it's hard. Yeah, well, you know? because they're, yeah. that's what I'm saying. What because do you think? They're men- I, I kind of question that it even is something that you have to learn. Look, man. It's <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> this is going to, like, yeah. hey, this is going to be a long, hard, crappy thing that we're about to do. You either say, okay, cool, let's get it on, or you say, oh, this, this is horrible and I want to go home. Like, what's to be learned there? That's the lesson. <laughs> well, lesson there's is a level, shut though. up and do what you're supposed to do. Quit whining about it. Uh, you know, like, in the teams, you, it's so hard to catch someone's – like, if I was like – if it was negative 30 degrees right now and Andy was, didn't, forgot to bring a jacket and I'd be like, bro, are you cold? He'd be like, nope. nope. 
No, I would I'm not. freeze to death before I'd ever admit that I was cold because I forgot my jacket. Yeah, it's better just to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's better just... I think Dudley asked me two or three questions over the last couple of days. You know, something like, you know, uh, how are your legs holding up? Awesome. You know? I'm like, uh, you hot? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We're walking. I, you know those random holes? I'm sure there's some animal yeah. that calls them. I stepped into a hole. It's like 18 inches deep. It's pitch black. We're walking. We're two and a half miles into that hump. And I'm walking. And boom, my leg disappears in the hole. He's like, you all right? I'm like, good to go. <laughs> Meanwhile, I got like a... Sp- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only so, thing I would add to what you uh, say, I don't know. Like, what? That's what my. I guess my point is like, what is the class? The class in mental toughness. Oh, you know what the class in mental toughness is? Go to a wrestling practice. Go to a cross country practice. Go run an eight hundred. Go swim. Like, do I those things that, where they're going to make you do stuff that sucks. And eventually, you realize, oh, I'm going to have to do this anyway, so I might as well just get it done. I think the key to that though is the proper application of the stress, because you can overload people who are brand new with almost nothing. I think what we're talking about here, though, is some people never experience difficulty, Mm -hmm. never experience physical difficulty. You can get pretty far in life before you ever really experience true physical difficulty. And when you're confronted by it, that discomfort makes a lot of people shut down and they just want it to end and they want to be in a nice warm place and they want to ring that fucking bell. And that's 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 what happens. It doesn't mean that they can't be taught to look at things differently. And I think, believe it or not, your video, that good video that we keep bringing up, that goes a long way in your mentality. The way you're describing it goes a long way to recalibrating a lot of people's minds because they didn't have anybody around them that was explaining things. They weren't exposed yeah. to a lot of things that were explaining this things in a way. This is why I wrote kids' books. Ah. I literally wrote kids' books that the, it says good in it. It says all mm. these things for fifth graders. Because I have kids of my own, and if you go look at the books that they try and make kids read right now, it's embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing what they're trying to, trying to tell kids. So I wrote kids' books so I could give a kid a book and say, here you go, read this book. This will get these. Just plant the seeds. It doesn't mm. beat them over the head with it. It plants the seeds because we all know, like, when you're a kid, no one, you know, you're definitely your parents. It's hard to accept input from your parents because you don't think they know anything. Boom. This is a little seeds drop in. So when you say, like, everybody should watch that, uh, that's why I wrote those books so kids can, oh, look at this book. It seems pretty funny and pretty cool. And next thing you know, they're reading that when things are horrible, you need to change your perspective. Did you have discipline when it came to things that you didn't enjoy doing, like schoolwork or anything like that? Okay, so when I went to – I went to college as a – I think I was 28 years old. I'd already been in the the Navy for 10 years when I got sent to college. And, yeah, I hated college. I hated reading. I hated doing papers and all these, like, meaningless <laughs> things. And I would go in there. I would go in there. Joe, I would sit in the front, I would sit in the front desk of my class. I would stage pens and pencils right in front of me. I'd have my notebook out. I'd be sitting there. I'd be mad-dogging the teacher. I'd be like, oh, you want to come in here? You think you're going to try and teach me something? I studied your book. I already read the pages. I already read the stuff. They'd say, like, they'd ask a question. I'd be in the front row. With my hand up like this, I'm a 28-year-old. There's a bunch of 18-year-olds. So basically, I hated it. And you know what? I worked totally hard, and, my, and I, got nothing but, I got nothing but A's and A-pluses. I didn't even know they gave A-pluses in college. I only did it just to, just to scrap with these people. Just like, let's go. This is, what, this is what my job is right now? Cool. Let's bring it on. So, <laughs> but did you have that mentality when you were in high school? No. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You when learned, I was you learned think, how to develop that. When right? I was in high school, no, I think for me, when I was in high school, I couldn't connect. And this is what I, I, I try and explain to a lot of kids. The mistake that kids make is they don't connect what they're doing right now with the future. Because when you're a kid, the future is Friday night. Or Saturday night, right? <laughs> right? So you don't connect those things. You're just like, hey, what, what, am, I do, what am I going to do in the future? Oh, I'm going to Bill's house on Saturday night. It's going to be ripping. That's what right. you're going to do. <laughs> so you don't really connect those things. What I loved about joining the military is the military, it's a clean slate when you walk in there. And they're like, okay, uh, if you want to get advanced, then fold your underwear like this and fill out this. And I was like, okay, cool. That's what you got to do. That's what you got to do to, and and w- when I got to the SEAL teams, it was like this is what you're supposed to do to be a good SEAL. I'm like I'm 100 percent on board to do whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing, to do. So, yeah, I mean it, it, to to say that you've proved or that that kind of proves your point, it can be learned. But again, I just think I had to make the decision. Oh, this is what I have to do to win. Cool. Right, but what Let's did do you it. do in high school? Like when you were 15, 16 years old, what did you do that you dedicated yourself to? Uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, let's hear it. I was in a rut. I was in the rut. You know yeah. what I mean? Like everybody else was. Right. <laughs> yeah, You've yeah. seen what these bulls are doing? Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, course. that was what, a f- uh, eight year rut or whatever. Right. But that's not difficult. <laughs> right. That's not, no, it's not difficult, but that's what you're focused on. Right. You know, but that's, uh, but there was nothing that made you want to quit. Yeah. No, no, there was, right. I mean, I played soccer and basketball. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I was kind of a rebellious kid. I liked hardcore music. Uh, we got in a lot of street fights. You know, we didn't know how to fight, which is crazy. You know, I look back now, and you just think, man, I, I was so stupid. And that's another good thing about jiu-jitsu. You know, I, I, I have always felt like once I learned how to fight, I felt like I didn't need to fight anymore because, you know, hey, if I really want to kick your ass, I can do it in three seconds. And by the way, I'm not going to do it because I don't feel like getting arrested and whatever. The other million bad things that happen (laughs) when I get in a street fight, I'm just not going to do that. So, yeah. um, So that's what I did. You just wanted a career in the military. So your mental toughness and your drive and your focus was all dependent upon your desire to be successful in the military. Yes. Yes, ever you, since you I found was, the path. Yes, the I, path was mental toughness and discipline. So, so is the key finding finding a path. Finding a path. That's hundred percent the key oh, in yeah. my eyes. Because I was a fucking idiot until I started mm-hmm. doing martial arts. Yep. Nobody thought I was good at anything. My, my I, that was the first thing I ever did where I didn't think I was a loser. Mm. But I wasn't disciplined. That, I was that's obsessed. How I, that's how I felt with bow hunting. It was the first thing I did where I got positive. Yeah, I killed a bull my first year, and it's like that was a big deal. I'm like, oh shit! For a young man, right? That's important. Yes, notoriety, acceptance. And, yes, and respect. getting respect. Yeah. You know what's weird is I left everything that technically I was good at to do something that I wasn't. To me, bow. I was not good at bow hunting, and I was not good at archery. Right, and but what, you were obsessed with it. Well, mm-hmm. when I, I think when I realized how bad I was at it, what I was obsessed with was not being that bad at it. Mm. So that's why I like left. I left everything I was good at so that I could not. I knew that if there was 10 things I was good at, I knew deep down that I really sucked at this because it was, I, 
I had identified it. Because right, but more importantly, it was something that was interesting to you. Yeah, I was going to say. Fascinating. Yeah, that's Just because yeah. you yeah. sucked it, it was at a path. it, you probably suck at math, too, but that's mm-hmm. not something you're running out to write textbooks about. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. No. Well, that, when, I was, when I was leaving fighting and becoming a comedian, I was fucking terrible at comedy. <laughs> I mean, I was terrible. I was yeah. teaching Taekwondo at Boston University. I was a four-time state champion. I won the U.S. Open. I was really good at it. It was the only thing that I was ever really good at in my life. I was traveling around the country, fighting in tournaments all through high school and all through up, up until I was 22 years old. It was all I was good at. And it was my whole identity as a person was that I was this martial arts guy. And then all of a sudden, I'm like getting into comedy. And I'm like, okay, this is my, this is what, I can do this, but I got to figure out how to do this. But I can't figure out how to do this while I'm doing this other thing. So I got so much pushback on quitting the thing that I'm really good at because I found this thing that I was kind of obsessed with weirdly. I can agree with that. That's, that was common. But that's, I think that's the key with people is finding something you're obsessed with, right. whether it's a career in the military, whether it's archery, whether it's bow hunting, mm-hmm. finding something that's hard to do because through that you develop your human potential. Through finding a difficult thing and slowly, incrementally, through discipline and hard work and focus, you get better at it. And you yeah. know what? That We talked about a little bit today. That's going against what society is doing these yes. days. We're, and I know uh, Tim Kennedy talked about it on your podcast about how and I'd get, I wanted to get your guys' feelings on the kids coming in. Is, there, is this a soft generation? Are we having a hard time filling the slots for I had this conversation with Jocko two days ago, remember? Because yeah. Tim said, I think he alluded to that they're having a hard time finding enough guys for the well, elite teams. They're, they're lined up at the teams for to go on the teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I hear a lot about this, mm-hmm. like the kids being soft and all that. But, man, I see the kids, like I got a 16-year-old son, mm-hmm. him and his little friends that he's hanging out with. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll get it on at any point. I mean, they're ready to scrap. Yeah, but yeah. they grew up they with train. fucking Jocko as a dad. <laughs> they train. Christ. They train You're either going to be gay and, and, and start Go all the way the other way. Yeah, and, and be a ballet dancer. Or you're going to be a fucking savage. You no, don't have any other options. It's well, binary. It's I one guess or zero. That's, that, I don't know if you've made – I don't know. I don't know if I've made mistakes, but – I'd be. You have a boy, and I have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have two oh, boys. I've made all kinds of mistakes. Yeah, I, I, I've made mistakes that I can't talk about because I'll get rolled up by child services. <laughs> well, I've wondered. <laughs> I've done some things to myself. I wondered if I if I pushed them if I was too hard. Oh, oh, because I was oh, so bro. worried about them being. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now. All right, we're talking about uh, uh, like uh, when my son was he was either I think he was seven years old. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hesitating right now. <laughs> hey, let's, it's just we're friends here. Listen, listen. We're not, not, not going to tell anybody about this. If you're hesitating, <laughs> yeah. We started this podcast off with everybody likes killing people, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you were a little kid, did you want to get your guns together and go out and kill? Uh, yeah, let's. Uh, it, let's did that sound gears. weird? Right? No, it no. did. Like cowboys no. and Indians. Yeah, exactly. It's not fucking exactly. flowers and gardeners. No, and no. We yeah. were right? playing flowers. What are you playing? You're playing Every cowboys and Indians. Piece of wood or stick I found, I turned into a machine gun. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Weapons. Was that yeah. The, no. Was that the story you're going to tell? Weapons. No, that no. wasn't the story I was going to tell. <laughs> <laughs> By when you pause, I think as a friend, I want to step in yeah. and fucking hit the e-brake. <laughs> I'm I'm the same. One thing I wanted to say, like backing up ten minutes. I think everyone in this room, as we've been groomed into kind of who we are as people, you know, when our 
when our guide, Jocko and I just came out of a long morning, and our guide was driving up, and he said, Cam's got a bull down, and he knew that at 12 we had to be – we had to be up at the summer camp because there were people there that were going to meet us. Mm-hmm. So he's like, it's 10.55, Cam's got a bull down. I can drop you guys off where you're going to go. Or And Jocko really didn't even know what he was referring to because he's, you know, he's day one and a half of bow hunting. So he's like, I can just drop you guys off, but then I'm going to need to go in to help. And I just, I'm like, no, we're all going. And then, you know, I kind of look back, and I'm like, we're going to pack out a bull. I think as you groom the stuff that we're talking about, if someone offers you a challenge in life, you're like, yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was awesome to to see you guys. I I think we heard on the radio or maybe, yeah, a report that you guys were coming to help, and it was just like, that was so awesome. I mean, it wasn't surprising, but it was awesome First of all, I never thought Jocko would be helping pack out one of my bulls. <laughs> so that was kind of cool. I was just like, man, this is pretty badass. I felt like I won the little mini lottery there. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I think that's – I don't know. I saw somebody post on my Instagram. I don't know when it was. I had a picture of maybe us or maybe with Scott Eastwood, something like that. But somebody said, why, why – do you hang out with all the cool people or something like that? But I think part of it is I only associate with high achievers. I was like, I don't have, I'm not interested in hearing why somebody can't be something or do something or achieve. I I don't, I don't want to hear that. There's plenty of that. I want to hear, I want to hang out with people who are going to make me better. And each one of you make me better in some way. No doubt. And that's, and so then it's kind of weird because then that facilitates more growth. And hanging out with more cool people. And like the people who bitch about the opportunities we might have or this, they hang out with those type of people. And so it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's like, awkward for me when these guys thank us because I want to thank them 10 times more. You know. Who? These three. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. You know, when they're like, thank you, I'm, I'm like, no, no, no. We're turning this around. Yeah, and no. Andy's, Andy. Andy's one of, you know, he's one of my best friends. I talk to him mm-hmm. all the time. I talk to Joe all the time, and I've told him, I'm like, man, you've you've done so much for me. And and obviously, like, if I'm going to call Joe, there's no way I'm going to bitch about something. Right. If I call Andy, yeah, I can bitch about something to Andy. <laughs> but I was going to say, where I are mean, we going with I, this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If, if I call Andy and tell him I got, like, hey, man, I got the iPhone 11. He's like, yeah, I got the Plus, and mine was delivered one minute before yours. <laughs> it happens. You know, if I call Jocko, honestly, with you, I call you with, like, very specific things of this is what you should do. And you're and what I really appreciate you, about you, too, is if you contact me, there's a purpose. And then if I contact you, there, and that goes for, honestly, that goes for everybody in here. You know, you and I communicate randomly, mm-hmm. but it's there's like a purpose for it, mm-hmm. right? And and honestly, I appreciate that about people because we all know that we're all hustling in multiple facets and we all know that our time like our time window is small. I can't reply to everyone that talks to me all day, but I really I'm definitely going to reply to, you know, if anyone in here 
text me. I'm definitely going to reply because I know there was, like, a reason for it, and I know that you set aside time and you're 100% focused on something, mm-hmm. and you put that on a pause to, like, reach out. And Yeah, that's good. Yeah, the only point I wanted to make, for I guess, for people listening, because I know other people will listen to this outside our, our circle, so to speak, is that, man, surround yourself with people you want yeah. to – be like, I guess, Yes, you know, and it's, it's, that's, a, that's, it sounds so simple. But that's all there is to it. And don't tolerate no. people that are going to bring you down. No, don't, it, don't tolerate anchors. It's, you, it's, you gotta cut isn't that simple? How many times yeah. have we heard that? But I mean, this is, I'm perfect proof because I don't deserve to, I told, I've said this, I don't deserve to be here. I, I sit, think at some point, somebody's down here, Tom probably is going to figure out how the hell has this guy been here for nine years? Get the eight out of here. They're going to figure it out. And I'm going to be like, oh, I killed nine bulls here. So I guess I won. But I don't deserve <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so I've come from this, you know, this where I don't know how I got here, but it's just been because of people like you. Well, you got here from hard work, and then that attracted other people who also work hard, who appreciate that you work hard. If you go through life, you cultivate a bunch of bad motherfuckers in your life that also get after it. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, then you're empowered by your friends. I you, think so, yeah. yeah. And I you're have empowered. Been. The beautiful thing about today is they don't even have to be your friends. They could just be people that you listen to on a podcast like this where they feel like they're your friends mm-hmm. because you, you hear them talk all the time. Right. And they're in your ear when you're at the gym. They're in your ear when you're in your car. And you can get positive impact in your life without being the physical presence of these people. And that's right. a very, very unique thing that uh, I know none of us had when we were kids. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't have it. I had to find people, and the people that I found was through martial arts, people that sought out fighting, which everybody's scared of. So these guys sought it out. And there's no back then, there was no money in martial arts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could teach. I made money teaching, but I made enough money to eat. You know, I didn't, I, there's no, there was no career. Like, the, the you were fighting because it was – Hard to do. And then be, you were impressed with all these people that were really good at it. And so you admired them so much you wanted to be like them. And so you realize, well, how did they get that way? For me, they were there every day. I would go to the gym. They were there before me. They were, they were putting in more rounds than anybody. They were, they were d- d- drilling. They were in the mirror. They were shadow boxing. They were stretching. They were doing shit everybody didn't want to do. They were hitting the weights. They were the ones who were putting in the work. And then I'm like, I wanted to be like that guy. So I developed the same sort of traits that they had. And I did it because I was a kid. And like, these are the people that they meant something in my life. Like they were stronger than people I knew. Mentally, they, they they were seeking difficult tasks. They were embracing them. They were looking forward to it. They were getting excited by hard, hard challenges. And if you can find those people in your life, no matter what the discipline is, Find people that gravitate towards challenges, whether it's ultra marathon running or whether it's being a seal or what. There's there's things in life that are really fucking hard to do, and through those you find out who you are. You know what I think is a really good takeaway for people from what you just said. Even people like us that, you know, we we push continually. I know all you guys do. I feel like I do with, you know, with what we have as for knock on and Sharon and I push really hard.
But everyone needs to realize there are days where it's not easy to do that grind. And sometimes you, you know, I've watched the good video. You know, sometimes, sometimes I like listen to something Joe did for On It. And I'm like, you know what? That's all I needed to realize don't be a crybaby today. You know, yeah, it, it kind of does suck right now. I've done this, you know, it's, it's been a grind. But, you know, I think you talk about all kinds of stuff between, you know, different guests that you've had on the podcast where you're like, dude, I listen to your stuff. It fires me up. You know, you talked about that time where when you were doing the uh, Sober October and you freaking set the fire alarms off in your house because of, like, how much steam and sweat were in your room. And you said you watched that John Wick fight scene how many times? At least 50. 50 <laughs> times the, in a row. The scene where he breaks into the Russian bathhouse and kills everybody, I just kept rewinding it and watching it over and over again while I was on an elliptical machine. That sounds normal. Jugs of water filled with Himalayan salt and electrolytes because I was sweating so much. It was like someone poured buckets of water just because I didn't want my fat friend to win a, a win a fitness <laughs> challenge. And, I, and he was never going to win anyway, but it didn't matter. It was like I was going to set an impossible pace that was going to give him a heart attack. But so, you uh, had it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. It was so ridiculous. But, but when you, the alarm went off, that's when I knew something was really wrong. But you had the drive, but there. Even if you have the horsepower, like, you know, our buddy Brock over here. When I first met Brock and went to his place, we were driving to his house, and I was telling him how all I've really ever wanted was a muscle car, and I've never had one. And so I was talking to my dealership about about buying a Hellcat, and I've been talking about it for a long time. So we walk into the dealership because Sharon had, a like, a warning light going off on her Jeep. So we walk in, and I'd been talking with this salesman about getting one, and we walk in, he's like, bro, I found your car, here it is. And she goes, what car? And he's like, a Hellcat. And she goes, what's that? And he points up to this huge sticker they have on the wall, and it's like the most hideous color, and it's like the worst picture. She just looked at me, she's like, you're not getting that. You're just going to turn into a greaser. And I'm like, what? And she goes, you look so she goes that's a midlife crisis no doubt and so Sharon has never really told me no about anything and because she did I'm like all right never brought it up again until I met you know Brock and I'm like man you know I really wanted this hellcat but Sharon wasn't about it. Listen, Sharon's so, from England. I had a muscle car when I was 17. I never I've had did. I had a Mazda every B2000. year of my life that I could afford them. <laughs> I've got five of them right now. I fucking live for those things. I had a I had a Mazda B2000. So I'm I'm telling Brock about this story as we're driving to his house, and I said, I'm like, these Hellcats are really cool. They got like 700 horse and all this stuff, and he's just like, Yeah, it sounds really cool. Humble as a pie. We get to his house. I have a drink. He has Diet Coke. I meet his family. We're hanging out. We eat. And then all of a sudden, Brock goes, hey, you want to come out to the garage? I walk out to the garage. He's got a brand new demon <laughs> sitting in there. And I go, you got a freaking demon and you didn't tell me? And well, he's, a demon is the more extreme version exactly. of the for people who don't but know. But, like, he could, 
Yeah, eight hundred fifty instead of seven. He could he could have easily stopped me at my first sentence and been like, "I got a demon at home." Well, he knew he was gonna have the big reveal. The guy <laughs> yeah. has a sense of drama. He did. Yeah, he freaking he, he played he, that well. He let it out. You know, he he left it out. But you know, you coming in, Brock? Come on in. Oh yes. Oh, this is cool. Brock, yeah, coming you, in for the big win. Yeah, you you were on the Cleared Hot podcast, dude, in Alberta. Now you come with us to Utah, and well, the whole Hellcat thing is, I love Hellcats too. Oh, and you wanted the Hellcat, so I didn't. I was badass. I didn't. I'm just. I don't want to be considered a guy that one ups your friend. No, absolutely not. So obviously, how do you get along with Andy? <laughs> Cool. We get along well. Yeah. Because if I told Andy I wanted a Hellcat, he'd been like, I already got a demon and you can't beat it. That's well, what he would have said. All you have to say is, I just got Probably. my tuned. So, what's <laughs> up, bitch? <laughs> but I'm not actually going to do it. I'm just saying that to mess with you. Yeah. Well, I just feel like people that get after it, though, everybody does need a push, right? I mean, everybody needs a push at some point. So do you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know, again, all this stuff is just like kind of, hey, I got a good idea. Get up and do what you're supposed to do. Go get after it. I mean, <laughs> you know, hang out with I'm cool people, work out Hold hard. Pause. Freaking, yeah. Pause. Okay, Jocko, pause. Let's move into a new subject. Takeaway. If there's – tell me three things that you would do differently about this hunt. About this hunt? Or – Let's just say about bow hunting because this was your first bow hunt. So first of all, he would have pulled up in a Hellcat. Yeah, <laughs> pulled up in a, in a Hellcat or a Demon. <laughs> uh, you know, there's so many, so many little lessons learned along the way. Um, I'm looking forward to just getting things dialed in. And were there any things that you came here where you felt like you were ill prepared? Um, anything I felt I was ill prepared. <sighs> There's a ton of things that I know I need to prepare more on. What are those? You know, need to shoot more, need to need to shoot more and shoot more. I mean, you just need to you just need to keep shooting the repetitions. You know, the the cool thing is like the field stuff is stuff that like Andy and I grew up doing. I mean, you know, like in, in fact there's some things where I was like, wait, shouldn't we have a hand signal for this? Like when we were tra- <laughs> when we were tracking blood. Like, there was hand signals that you and me definitely should have established of, like, you know, here's last blood, you hold here. I was doing like, it. You just yeah, didn't know what it was. Yeah. Well, no, I, I saw you pointing at the ground. You know, I was I was picking up on it. Yeah. But, like, we didn't pre-brief them. You know, so just little yeah. things like that. Here's another one. When you when you split up, like, if you're on a operation of some kind yeah. and you split up, you need to have a plan of, like, okay, if I don't come back, what are you going to do? So, like, today, I'm like, hey, where are you, you know, where are you going? And you're like. I'm going to go up here and look. And I was like, okay, what do you want me to do? Yeah. And you're like, stay here with last blood. I said, okay, cool. Because that just tells you, hey, no matter what goes on, if two hours later you go, oh, sh- I forgot Jocko and you were out pursuing some bull somewhere. I know where you're going to You know be. where I'm going to be, right? Yeah. So little things like that, that is kind of, uh, it's kind of just, the yeah, plan, the go TWA, which is yeah. like a little, an acronym that we used for, in the military. So there's a bunch of little what things like it, that. What did it stand for? Where uh, you're going, others yeah. you're taking with you, the time. 
what to do if I uh, don't return an actions upon enemy contact? Actions on enemy contact was the last one. So that would be like, hey, if you find a bull, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going to pursue it. And then once I put it down, I'll come back here. Or I'll meet you at the other bull that we just hit. So th- there's just like little things like that. Um, Which are valuable, especially yeah. out there. Yeah, they're very valuable. I mean, the, three three out of four people probably would not have accurately got back to the vehicle. Yeah. no, Correct? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, I play a game with Caleb every time we go out. It's a fun game. Don't play it with him. No, I I say, Caleb, which direction is the car in point? And he'll be like, oh, it's over there. I'm like, you're incorrect. So the car (laughs) is actually right there in line of sight. Yeah. That's 100 degrees. We were at SHOT Show, and uh, Andy sneaks up behind me and taps me on the shoulder. He goes, you're a terrible situational awareness. (laughs) I go, we're at a fucking trade show. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ, dude. We're not in the field. That doesn't mean you can have low situational awareness. (laughs) You need to learn when to relax. (laughs) You know what small little thing you did today that I really appreciated? I forgot that I did that. Dude, I told you to go in my backpack to get something out. Yeah. And when you got it out and you like had it situated and it, I knew it was buttoned down, you tapped me on the shoulder twice. No, and actually I, I gave you a squeeze. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You squeeze on the back which, of my arm. A squeeze in the teams is like, you're good to go. And and for me, as soon as you did it, I'm like, okay, I know what he's telling me. And I, I'm thinking, why don't we do that more often? <laughs> yeah. It was so simple, but it was like a hundred percent confirmation. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of little things like that. Like, we, we do this all the time. Like we'll come up with those protocols and standard operating procedures that it. I, yeah, honestly, I'd like. To. <laughs> when you're getting into bro. this, Jocko, <laughs> when you're getting into this now, you know, first hunting trip, one and a half days into bow hunting. Um, are you? How excited <laughs> are you about this? The the fact that there's so much to learn, because the thing about bow, you hang out with a guy like Dudley, you realize like, oh, there's. So layers to this yeah there's so many levels to this yeah i mean for me just like jujitsu like there's a billion things to learn in jujitsu but there's also here's the fundamentals here's the fundamental principles that function through all all modes of jujitsu same thing with like tactics there's fundamentals of tactics that do not change and so there's cool little things that, that branch off of them, but so I, I will continue to fo- I continue to focus on the fundamentals of jiu-jitsu. I continue to, f- to focus on the fundamentals of tactics. I'll continue to f- focus on the fundamentals of this, you know, um, which it's cool. What I like about it is, like I said earlier, it's a mission. And when you have a mission, you know, you, you get to focus on that mission and you have some, some goal that you're going to do. You don't want to come up here and not be ready. You don't want to come up here and not be in good physical condition. You do not you know? want that. You do not want that. You want to be ready to rock and roll. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing when Dudley's asking me, like, don't you ever need a push? Hey, here's an example. When it's, when it's a Sunday and I get home from a long flight or something and, okay, what am I going to do? Do I need a little push? Yeah, when I know I'm going to be here and I know I might be staring down my sights and have to take a tough shot, I got to go out and get 20, 20 arrows, man. It's going to take me not that long, but, like, you know, take me Because that's what minutes. I told you. I'm like, don't make it big. Just give me yeah. – I think I said give me 20 a day. Give me 20 a day. And usually I now get 20 to 40, but that's that's a push, it's right? Yeah. The push, this is the push, being Getting here. those numbers in every day is giant. Yeah. I mean – Momentum. Yeah. yeah, even if it's only five. Five hours a day, it's just giant. Just get them in. Yep. Get them in. You know, go, put a block target behind your garage, shoot five hours into it with correct form, and you're 100% better off than if you didn't do it. Yeah. Agreed. So that's my takeaways. Keep training. Keep getting after it. 
Do you have any, Andy? I just keep trying to manage my mistakes and learn from the past. Like, if that bull actually would have walked out, the only time I've drawn back, I saw the tips and I drew back super early and was just holding for longer than I felt comfortable. Only because I have done the opposite of that. Yeah. Where I'm like, hey, bull, would you mind standing there for a second while we make eye contact and I pull this bow back? <laughs> And they go, sir, no, you can go fuck yourself, and they run off. It so sounds that's, like a legitimate gamble. Like, what you did was based off experience. So, yeah. And that's kind of goes back to what we said. As much as you want to prepare for, for bow hunting, you're not going to prepare for something that you've mm-hmm. never encountered. I just try to be ready. Like, I've not, so far this week, Joe, uh, my guy Joe hasn't said, hey, knock an arrow, because I'm starting to be able to recognize – when we're getting to a point where I might need it. So I'm trying to be ready to go. But And it's already almost played itself out. Well, I've, Andy, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for you, how exciting was it for you when you were in Alberta and you spot and stalked that mule deer 100% on your own? It was pretty awesome. I actually just kept telling myself, oh, just any second now, my plan's going to fall apart. Any <laughs> moment now. I was super happy for you. I was stoked, too. I because was, like, I'm I was always happy when you happy. kill something, but... You know, when you sent me a picture, when you're like, dude, I did this 100% yep. on my own, I was like, damn, that's a real accomplishment. That's a twitchy-ass mule deer. Yep. You know, and they're, like, you know, amongst the smart, especially an older one like what you got. That's a smart-ass animal that's dodging wolves up there and mountain lions and bears and everything else. It was all because of the mistakes I had made before, though. Like, at first I had my rain gear on. I'm like, oh, no, this is too loud. i got to take this off. And then I wasn't. They were farther out into the field. I'm like, oh, I've, I've done this one before, too. I need to get farther out where they're going to be so they're going to pass closer. And I got to a spot, and I was like, you know what? This is where I have seen them pass in my limited experience, and they walked by at sub-20 yards. And I let the first one pass and just drew back on a completely open pathway. I'm like, where is it going to be? And then the next thing, oh, I see a little head peeking out, and as he took a step on, in my head, I'm just like, you're just so absolutely dead. And <laughs> <laughs> just blasted. <laughs> Andy, Andy, and Andy's, then, Andy's internal dialogue <laughs> During this stuff is awesome. Yeah. Oh, it was maybe 15 yards. And then I had other arrows in my quiver, so I had shot some of those too. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was coming eventually. What? You've said several times, you're like, I can never repair, uh, repay you for what you've taught me. But Oh, it's insane. Man. When you did that, you 100%, like, you paid in double. Because that's like... That's like when your kids got training wheels, training wheels, and you take them off, and you're like, he could mess himself up. But then all of a sudden, you freaking do it, and you're like, now I know how to ride a bike. That is 100% payback, you know, for someone that's, that's like put time into, like, holding your seat, making sure you're going. They know you can do it on your own because they're not even really – it's like when you taught me how to skydive. Yeah. The first few times – you were definitely on, and I knew that you were holding on me, but then further on in that progression, I didn't realize that you had let go. I kind of still thought that you were in control of what I was doing. I actually let go by accident on your third <laughs> jump. It was awesome. <laughs> so good job. Like third jump, you just let go? No, you stepped on my foot when you went out of the airplane. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is about to get extremely wild so i just <laughs> let go of you and just caught you later because <laughs> i've done that before where i held on and then you start with the whirly gig and then the centrifugal force builds and then people it's not good <laughs> it's not good i love it 
You got anything, Cam? You want a handoff? You good? Yeah. What do you this think, This is awesome. Joe? This is awesome. You know, it's awesome for people listening. It's awesome for me. I'm, uh, I'm honored to know all you guys, for real, legitimately. It means Same. the world to me. No doubt. It helps me tremendously. To have really exceptional people in your life, I think, is one of the greatest gifts. It means a it lot. It is. There's no doubt about it. I've said this to you several times. I've, I've said the older I get, the re- I start to realize that the circle of friends that I have around me can be smaller, but there's way more value to like what I feel out of that. I feel like you can narrow it down. Like as you essentially trim, you know, I guess I've got good friends that aren't necessarily great friends. So I don't want to say trim the fat, but I am saying it, but call call the herd. Yeah. I mean, I think cut the bitches loose. You just realize there's people around you to where when you're surrounded by people that are, doing the same things that you're doing, your natural competitive desire is not to be doing less than what people around you that are busting it are doing. And so you you just realize that you're, like, fulfilling a very good life because you're, you know, you're not leaving any anything on the table because, you know, you're pushing because you know everyone around you is pushing. You don't want to be the weak link in the chain. That's just how it goes. Yeah, and it sets the bar. So that's the bar for you. And like I said, the beautiful thing about podcasts and the internet in general is that people are getting exposed to these ideas and these kind of conversations that maybe don't have anybody like that in their life. Yeah. yeah. You do now. You do now. You do now. All right, let's do a fist bump in the middle. Go team. Cam, Brock. <laughs> talking about being gay. <laughs> <laughs> Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com